This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, today, um, for the Subversity Show, this is Dan Tsang. Uh, we're going to be talking about sustainable foods and sustainable eating, how we are what we eat. And with us is uh, Hai Vo, a recent graduate of the social ecology program here at UC Irvine, who has been a leader in this effort uh, in uh, locally at UCI to get the food services also to provide better food and also in his own life. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, hi. Um, how did you get involved uh, in this uh, food, uh, sustainable food uh, effort? Sure. The, my sustainable food efforts um, really stemmed from um, starting in the environmental movement. And uh, when I was growing up, I had this great yearning for humanity and service in general. And it wasn't until college, uh, I went to a community college before going to UCI, I immersed myself in environmental organizations. And I was introduced to the Sierra Club, which looks at conservation and enjoying the planet, and also the CSSC, the California Student Sustainability Coalition, and that's a statewide network of students working on sustainability initiatives. So. Um, I was introduced to sustainable foods through the CSSC Foods Initiative, um, and that was the more um, coalition-building effort that influenced sustainable food uh, advocacy that I do. Were you interested in getting better food to eat uh, personally? Yeah, yeah, and and I was going to explain... I was going to explain that as another influence in how I got involved in food sustainability the uh, the second reason why I got involved, um, uh, which included this, the coalition building, was uh, classes at UCI. So I entered as a transfer student two years ago uh, and started taking courses uh, through the social ecology program um, with a global sustainability uh, series. And through this series, I was able to explore what sustainability meant hmm. that meant the economic, environmental, and social aspects of humanity, but it it also allowed me to explore um, different topics of sustainability, and food was something that was very tangible for me and something that um, I connected to personally, and my personal influence was a third reason I really got into food sustainability. When I was growing up, I grew up with um, fresh Vietnamese food um, growing up, uh, with noodles and vegetables and, and seafood, and it, it was very good. Um, but I also grew up in America, and and at school I would be served healthy, unprocessed, uh, excuse me, healthy processed, unhealthy processed food. And so um, I was living, you know, I was living this junk food life uh, in the public school system, and when uh, all up until community college. Um, and I, uh, once I had the opportunity to transfer to UCI, uh, I was then fending for myself. Um, you know, I had to figure out what did it mean to live on my own and eat on my own. And uh, so I had these phases. Uh, I had this phase of still living off of my family's food. Uh, I, and I transitioned to kind of this conventional um like Albertson's Ralph's phase, and then I noticed that there was a Trader Joe's nearby, and I checked that out. Um, and then I checked out Whole Foods, but it was a little expensive for me. And then I realized that there was a farmer's market across the street from UCI. And so I was really, really being really introduced to um, different types of food, and, and it brought up these questions of where does food come from, how, did, how is it grown, who's growing it. And um, it really brought, food sustainability really brought out uh, my own sustainability. Like, how was I going to live um, in this kind of, in this chaotic world um, 
and, and that's how I came to organize myself. And, and so that's that's how, really the three reasons um, that really influenced my food sustainability advocacy. It was uh, my coalition building that I was introduced to, my academics, and you know a very personal story uh, that I have. Yeah. The, so the you're saying the food uh, at schools, the school lunches, for instance, those are really junk food. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would. Rem- I mean, I was, you know, growing up in America. I, my parents, uh, my family, they were immigrants. They were both people from Vietnam. Yeah, and uh, we were a low-income family, so I was uh, subsidized by the government to get free lunches every day. It was a very typical meal. Would be like a meat dish, like a like a pork loaf or a meatloaf. And like yeah. a side of kind of dilapidated steamed vegetables, um, maybe o- some corn. O- overcooked, huh? Yeah, overcooked vegetables, uh, a carton of milk, and maybe like a frozen fruit, uh, like syrupy thing. <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, I grew up with that uh, in school. And then I would come home to really good, delicious Vietnamese food that my mom and my dad would make. Um, so I was having this, you know, I was having this dichotomy of food, and uh, and and I've and I've realized now that there uh, is a lot of investment in school food, um, and right now the the Child Nutrition Act is being reauthorized in the fall, right. uh, trying to see if that food can be re, you know, that food can be reshifted and reinvested in uh, healthier food. Um, and so, so that would benefit not only children that are growing up now, but also uh, generations in the future. Uh, maybe m- my potential children, your children. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, how about at home? Did they use MSG? Your folks. <laughs> that's a really interesting <laughs> question. Yeah, that's, that's something that I want to ask my parents. My parents. Um, I mean, they grew they grew up in rural Vietnam and. Uh, they would use the freshest ingredients. So for my parents um, coming here to America, they had a struggle. You know, they were trying to um, acclimate themselves to America, and sometimes some of the some of the ingredients that they would traditionally use in Vietnam uh, wouldn't be available here, and it'd be a different type of processing, different type of distribution. I mean, I would I would I would say that truthfully, I have had my fair share of MSG growing up. Um, and I feel like uh, there's a way of commoditizing food here where, um, you know, part of, part of these additives and preservatives uh, are part of the food system. And, and, um, and I feel like there's, there's this ability to uh, empower people to realize, hey, you know, this isn't healthy stuff. Let's go back to our culture, to our roots, uh, where fresh and local was something that was common. Although I have to say, MSG is also uh, used in Vietnam. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, scoops of it. <laughs> oh had, no! Yeah, no. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not doubting that truth at all. Um, there's uh, there's definitely something to say about um, you know uh, profit over people, and if people uh, aren't seeming to be uh, dramatically or traumatically dying. Um, yeah. The company is going to continue to process something that is demanded. So, so yeah. How about uh, the? Uh, uh, I'm getting uh, some echo here. Uh, um, do you have a you have radio on? Uh, no. No, I don't. Let me okay. let me change something really quick. Okay. Okay. How's that? Hmm. Uh, maybe I. Uh, let me see. Okay. Okay. Is that a little better? Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. Although I see a okay. little bit of echo, but uh, maybe it's on maybe. this side. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, it uh, should be okay. Let's see. Um, anyway, the, what happens with the? Uh, how did you get into this academic program on food sustainability? How how did you become interested in that? Sure. Well, the I I one of the main reasons why I attended UCI was for its academic program, and um, sometimes so during my time at Irvine, 
I there were times when I had to re-remind myself why I was at Irvine because I had offers at other colleges and other communities for me to be uh, immersed in food sustainability. But I realized that there was a lot of support uh, academically and, and with the professors and the graduate students in the School of Social Ecology for me to explore this uh, topic. And um, I got into it by you know, really delving into uh, what the program was about. Social ecology is about the interconnections between the environment and human beings. And what's really interesting about social ecology is this interdisciplinary uh, methods to community problem solving. Mm. And I was really interested in using multi-disciplines to apply my theory and my learning to uh, challenges that I see in the community. And so for, for me, um, I wanted to explore this idea that um, what we were serving at UCI uh, and in the greater span of it, what we were serving in our local Orange County community and our even greater state, national, and global community was, uh, was bad food, was unreal food, unhealthy food. And so I really took the theories that I learned about sustainability, about political sustainability, about economic um, instability, about food insecurity, um, to apply that to UCI. And I realized uh, that uh, what uh, came about um, was a, what came about was this perfect uh, relationship between my academic scholarship and uh, academic scholarship in the School of Social Ecology and um, my application within the university itself. Right. You, um, talk, you talk about you talk, unreal food. What, what do you mean? What's unreal about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I talk about um, unreal food, and, and, and there's other terms that can be used, like conventional or industrial food. But what we, what we use for that phrase is, uh, food that is uh, unsound to the ecology, to the to our lo- to our environment, food that is um, uh, unhealthy to the consumers uh, that eat the food, uh, unfair to the producers, uh, the farmers that produce the food that um, grow the food. Um, unreal food is food that uh, doesn't nourish our communities. That it's um, it's not. Uh, it's causing political instability. It's making communities insecure. It's not engaging the community through the process of democracy. And so, what we what we try to understand about real food is real food is uh, food that is nourishing producers. It's nourishing consumers. It's nourishing our environment, our physical uh, and maybe spiritual environment. It's it's nourishing um, our communities, and and very tangibly, real food is food that um, is ecologically sound. It's food that is community based, local. It's food that is humane. It um, it's sound to animals. That animals are being treated fairly, um, and it's also fair uh, to farmers and producers that they're being um, compensated uh, for the the work that they do. You don't want to be uh, a vegetarian, then? Um, I, I will say that I'm an omnivore. <laughs> um, I think I think that there's a there's a stigmatism um, that uh, that food sustainability is is unfriendly uh, or unfriendly to animals, and that we're all uh, we're all vegetarian and vegan, but. For me, it's really asking the question, how are these animals being treated? And um, how are they being raised? And what are they, what are they eating? And what, are, what is their part of their system? So for me, a, a more sound system uh, of treating things that I eat, um, I'm more willing to eat it if it's uh, more humanely treated and, and raised in better conditions. What is an example of a bad, uh, uh, unreal food? Okay, sure. Um, an example um, of a bad, let's say, uh, let's just use the, uh, the, the meat example again. Um, 
when I was studying food sustainability in my global sustainability series course, um, I took a um, I took a tour of a CAFO, a CAFO, a confined animal feeding operation, um, along the five freeway. Um, and I was exploring this idea of what is a sustainable food system and does UC Irvine, an institution, do they, are they part of a sustained system? And so um, I was able to find information about um, a, uh, an operation that we purchased from, and uh, I was able to visit the I was able to visit the operation, and I'll have to tell you that I um, I was only able to visit there for a few minutes. Um, one because they weren't offering tours, but two, it was just the stench was horrific. Um, you have these huge barracks of uh, maybe thirty feet tall, about hundred yards uh, in length. And inside, you open up the door, and there are cages. Um, of, there are steel cages with chickens and pigs and um, and cows uh, fit together, you know, side by side uh, in these cages, um, feeding all the time, or being fed all the time, and eating all the time. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't the best situation, knowing that. You know, here I, as a student at UCI, was um, being served this type of food, and uh, that I and that I knew it wasn't optimal for my own health. Um, that these these animals are are not being treated uh, in their own optimal health, um, and that I know that it wasn't being treated for my own optimal health. So that's something that. Um, is unreal and something that um, that the the campaign is, and the, and what we advocate for is is something um, that we try to understand and also um, advocate for uh, for another system uh, that treats uh, animals in a better way. Did you get it changed at all? Sorry. Did you get that changed? Well, one of the one of the cool things uh, that we that I uh, that was worked on um, during my time at UCI was uh, purchasing of uh, cage-free organic eggs. And um, the idea was to transition from from, uh, purchasing eggs from uh, chickens that were confined um, to ones that were not confined, that they were free-range, that they were open, uh, that, uh, that they had space to go about. Um, and, and so we were able to transition that in terms of the dairy and meat realm. Uh, one, of the, one of the challenges that UCI has as an institution is this idea of scale and this idea of um, market stability, this, this idea of uh, having to make sure that their profit margins um, are, are, and their bottom line is still, uh, is still attained. And so there are, um, currently there are greater macro, um, there are greater infrastructure uh, on the federal level and the state level, through, much of it through the farm bill um, that don't allow for these changes and these policies to happen. Um, and, and thus, uh, institutions like UCI um, use the market uh, to to kind of change that if if need be. But we definitely need help from policies like the Farm Bill to reinstitute changes uh, like meat, um, because uh, you know we can't we can say oh we want more humanely treated free range organic meat. Um, but a lot of the infrastructure that is in place that uh, greatly affects how we even purchase meat, uh, for example, uh, is is, is uh, situated within the farm bill and other policies. So you're saying agribusiness has a big role in this? Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, there, um, one of the challenges we have is being able to serve um, a large scale, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, one of the one of the opportunities uh, that an agribusiness sees is being able to um, 
mark up their scale. And the greater that they mark up, uh, the, the cheaper that they can provide the food, and thus food distributors that institutions work with can buy that uh, marked up scaled food for cheaper and then you know, provide, it, let, provide, provide for people um, at, a, at a lesser discount, at an even less um, lesser price. And so one of, the, one of the challenges is, you know, what, is, um, what, are the, what are the demands for the people who are eating the food and are they willing to either, one, uh, um, increase their, their, um, their purchasing uh, for more uh, humanely raised meat, uh, or for more organic food, or uh, for more local food, or are they willing to sacrifice um, some of these, uh, some of some of their own consumption in order for these shifts to change? And so, you know, one of one of my interests is to try to understand those transitions. Like, what does it take for these larger macro policies? To change, while on the other hand, the demand is still there for you know cheap meat per se. Uh, on on this show, we had uh, Professor Claire Kim from yeah. Poli- Political okay. Science and Asian American Studies uh, talk uh, about the cage-free eggs campaign. Yeah. And how do you see um, uh, that as happening? How did she get uh, her uh, campaign get the Aramac uh, and um, the university uh, to agree to uh, offer cage-free eggs? Yeah. Well, what I believe is uh, there was a lot of uh, coalition building happening. Uh, there was a lot of uh, publicity. There was some. Um, I, I for sure know that there was there were letters and ads put in the new university to open up this dialogue um, about cage um, free eggs and uh, investing in uh, organic eggs and and a lot of the discussions happen um, within this open realm of the university. And one of the, one of the opportunities that I saw in the university system is that um, uh, Airmark and the people we work with at UCI are open to these discussions. And I think um, in terms of organizing, uh, it's really one, it's, researching and really doing your homework and um, really understanding what's available and what are behavioral modifications that are needed, and then actually having these discussions and making planned, organized meetings to uh, move forward with something that a group like uh, the group um, that Professor Claire Kim did to move forward with those cage-free organic eggs um, in order for an institution like UCI to move forward. And, um, and I, I realized that it was a, certainly a process. I, I feel like what she was doing and what we were doing with the Real Food Challenge was something that has been happening for the last few years uh, and will continue in the future. Yeah, it yeah. definitely took a while. And she was on the show on April 2nd. And at that time, the university was uh, open to it, but they hadn't moved on it. And right. so it took a few more months, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I will. Yeah. yeah, I will have to say that I will have to say that students, uh, staff, and administration are key and instrumental to moving forward with um, ideals that we advocate for, and um, you know how we go about organizing is another story. Um, and that's where leadership development comes in and, and bringing, people, bringing coalitions together. But I do recognize that, um, you know, students on campus and faculty on campus and staff and administration, they're key to um, moving something along, moving forward with an initiative, with a program. Um, one of, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I saw was, uh, you know, uh, Companies are they ha- they have a lot of uh, daily operations and um, you know for us as an institution of higher education it's bringing up these questions in an effective manner and realizing that to, realizing that we could use this open space this uh, open dialogue of the university to 
um, explore uh, topics that wouldn't necessarily, maybe ne- wouldn't necessarily be part of the discussion within the company. Let's say, example, uh, for example, Airmark. Um, and so it's really interesting to see this uh, collaboration and, and this connection with uh, with Airmark and other and other companies without and throughout the, their nation with other institutions um, to move forward with initiatives uh, in. in initiatives like food sustainability. You see more companies as being willing to do uh, to act in a socially responsible way? I do. I have, in the past year I've been reading a few socially respons- uh, socially responsible manuals and guidebooks that companies like Cisco and Airmark and Sodexo are putting out there um, and I'm happy to see that they're uh, starting that dialogue, um, and and one of the ideas with overall sustainability is to engage all the participants. So, you know, for a company like Airmark, is to engage um, the community, engage students, engage faculty, engage citizens within their process, um, because I think it will end up helping their own um, business practice. Um, you know, in, I think I think that in the end, and they recognize that um, the market will shift a certain way. Uh, you know, if, if people will start to invest in more organic food, or people will invest in more free-range organic eggs, or um, you know, more certified uh, uh, fish, let's say, then then that's where they're going to go too. And if they're not if they're not going to continue that route. Um, then there are certainly consequences to their own business practices. I there's really interesting discussion right now about um, socially responsibility, social responsibility within uh, farm farm production and the food producers and fair la- fair labor and fair wages. Um, I work with the right now. I'm in discussions with. Uh, the Center for Rural Studies in UC Davis, in Davis California, and they're working on a campaign to really understand what does it mean for us to purchase fair food, to purchase food that is compensated fairly um, with producers domestically, internationally. So fair trade, uh, uh, fair trade food, right? Yeah, so food, you know, food that isn't um, fair trade food, as in food that is compensated fairly, uh, food where um, the the compensation is uh, is fair where their living standards are sound um, where they where producers uh, and farm workers and farmers have um, have incentives and benefits and health benefits and uh, this idea that um, they can sustain their own lives based on what they're Putting energy into, um, and what they're putting in energy into is farming. So, I um, yeah, the companies are, are realizing that, and uh, it's 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 surely a discussion that is being had. Are they resisting are they? the changes in uh, labeling that uh, the federal government might impose? Can you repeat that one more time? Then? Are they uh, resisting the changes in labeling? Like, for instance, uh, a lot of food is labeled natural, which doesn't mean anything. Uh, it doesn't mean organic, obviously. Um, I think there's some move to uh, get uh, the government more involved in food labeling um, and you know, have standards for certain types of labels. Yeah. One of the, yeah, one of the changes uh, in this and one of the initiatives in this upcoming, um, in this new administration, through the Food and Drug, through the, um, food and Drug Administration, right. um, it's to secure labeling. And one of the challenges that we see is uh, this idea of, um, of pricing. And, uh, you know, let's say you're a small, small-scale organic farmer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately right now there aren't incentives for small-scale owners to be uh, labeling their own food as, you know, organic or 100% natural. And so there's this level of uh, increased awareness within FDA to, um, 
to secure their, their labeling and to redefine what does it mean to be natural or what does it mean to be organic. Um, and currently there isn't much research about uh, the validity of third-party certifications or um, how companies hmm. um, put on a label and but end up not, uh, but that label doesn't end up uh, 100% true. So, um, so that is certainly an initiative that is uh, being pulled through. Do you think, uh, are you hopeful that the, I mean, these standards or these improvements will spread to uh, different places? Or, or are there certain countries you look as as uh, models? Like, uh, is Western Europe ahead of us in this? Um, I'm actually not too sure about that, Jim. Um, there, I mean, there's something to say about, there's something to say about one um markets that uh, are of greater scale. Like we work with a national and global food system. It's a system that uh, has prop- has risk um, when you're talking about food safety and labeling. Um, one of the securities with having a more community-based and local food system is that you can uh, increase your likelihood that your food is safe. Uh, that you do have a connection with the farmer and the producer that grows your food, um, that you're getting uh, 100% uh, value from the food that you buy or the food that you connect to. Um, so I am hopeful that, um, you know, I'm, I'm already, I am already hopeful that these local markets, these um, more bioregional markets of food production, um, is supplying safe food. It's, a, it's supplying food uh, that's secure for your own health. Uh, the question becomes, what are the what are, what's happening on the more macro scale, the more the greater scale of um, food that's in um, you know larger grocery markets. Um, and so I, I am hopeful. There there are certainly some people uh, in the USDA uh, and our Secretary of Agriculture. Um, Secretary Vilsack and uh, Kathleen Merrigan, who he appointed recently, um, she's been working on the organic standards when they first came out. She uh, is definitely a, some, a stakeholder who is really interested and involved in the food standards process and um, what does it mean for us to be labeling products certain ways and what, is, what does that mean for the average consumer. So uh, I'm certainly hopeful that uh, these greater networks and our local networks um, are safe. Are you against, are you against these chains, that Whole Foods chains? that have moved into communities uh, around the country. Uh, do you think uh, because they've been, um, you know, maybe um, getting rid of local grocers and stuff, uh, what do you think of these big chains? I, there, um, I think there's something to say about um, understanding. I think one of the, there's something to say about understanding a community and understanding the community's market. So if a company like Whole Foods wants to open up a store in, let's say, rural California, and, um, and they're recognizing that uh, there is a local market and that there are uh, local farmers and that there are uh, local businesses that, um, that the community is sustained upon, that, that these businesses are sustaining themselves, um, that, that they should be utilizing these markets. Um, and I feel like it really needs to be an open dialogue between these communities and these large-scale um, these large scale markets, these uh, like Whole Foods. Um, there are certainly... Um, some challenges when it comes to these markets, uh, these greater markets, and these bigger wholesale grocers um, just coming in and transporting goods that don't necessarily have um, much historical meaning or have um, much historical culture, food culture uh, in that area. So when a company comes in and realizes, hey, let's 
partner uh, and make a cooperative with um, this uh, with these farmers and these producers, and let's help them uh, and enhance you know their market share and their value. Um, then there's you know that then that is. Uh, potentially uh, a beneficial thing. But when they're exploiting these uh, producers and they're exploiting the local community um, where they're dictating the um, directives and they're direct, uh, dictating the types of root, the types of food that they grow and they're dictating the seeds that are being planted and they're really taking the decisions um, out of the hands of the community, then uh, that becomes another story, and um, those, are, those are the types of questions that the Real Food Challenge is uh, dealing with, and, and, and this idea of reinvesting in a local area, um, that uh, these, stakeholders, these bigger stakeholders, these whole-scale grocers, do have a stake in the food system, um, but the way that they do business, uh, there are questions to the way that they do business, and um, something that uh, communities in that area um, would uh, want to entertain. Right. Uh, definitely great questions. I know in Laguna Beach there was big resistance to having a, a one of these uh, big grocers move in. Yeah. Although eventually I, I suppose they did move in. And uh, I, I'm not sure if the questions were resolved. Sure, sure, sure. Um, in, your, in, in your own life, uh, I'm reading your article um, that you were able to travel quite a bit, and you went to Italy. Uh, uh, what happened in Italy? Why, why go to Italy? Sure. <laughs> well, Italy's a really cool place. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Of course, yeah. Um, Italy's, the, um, Italy's the birthplace of Slow Food Nation, or Slow Food. Excuse me? Slow Food. Yeah, Slow Food. And um, I had the fortune to attend the 2008 uh, Slow Food Conference. And Slow Food uh, was birthed in, uh, in Italy, and um, it was birthed in Torino, where, um, where I went. The con- Slow Food, the ideals um, are to advocate for a good, fair, and clean food system. And uh, it, it has a lot of... Um, Values and ideals that uh, parallel with food, with food sustainability and how to sustain your own livelihood, and they have this conference every two years. Um, in 2006, the founder Carlo Petrini he made a pact to invite uh, a greater percentage of youth to the 2008 conference. Huh. In 2006, there were, uh, I believe there were, I think, 20 youth, and this year they were able to um, have over, I think they were able to have over 1,200 youth to come. And youth meaning students, young farmers, young artisans, young chefs, um, young, young scholars, uh, graduate students who were really invested in food and really all, we were all really studying food. We were all participants in this food system uh, that is good, clean, and fair. And uh, this huge conference, uh, it's a week long. Uh, it, la- it was in the fall. It, it was last fall. And this idea of uh, really conserving your food history. So we had um, Torino was host to over like a thousand food cultures, and I was introduced to very, uh, very uh, ancient cheeses, Italian cheeses, oh, all yeah. the way yeah. to uh, you know uh, very special, rare uh, rice grains uh, from Japan, and so you had all of these nations coming together, sharing their story, and. Uh, sharing their stories and moving forward with a manifesto, moving forward with a manifesto of seed, a manifesto of a sustainable food system, a manifesto of um, the connections between food and climate change. And, you know, it's uh, slow food is growing to be a very socially um, adapt uh or, excuse me, a socially adept organization. They have uh, Vandana Shiva as one of their vice presidents. And here in California, 
um, another vice president is Alice Waters. And um, so they're bringing together different stakeholders, you know, scientists, chefs, uh, academics, farmers, youth, um, to engage in this process of saving uh, seed and saving biodiversity and saving food culture. Um, and so I was able to meet um, you know, thousands of youth. I was able to meet uh, farmers. I was able to actually, I was able to meet a, a farmer from Vietnam oh, um, oh. or a connection with, yeah. Um, you know, one of my goals is to go back to Vietnam and really understand their agricultural practices. Um, and so for me, you know, going to Italy, I, I spent, um, I spent half of my time at an old military base camp connecting with um, people from all over the world. And then the other half, I was able to spend time at the, um, uh, the Italian, in the Italian Alps at the Olympic Village because Serena was host to the Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics, two years ago, three years oh, wow. ago. Huh. Yeah, so huh. I was, you know, and then during the day, you would, um, you would be immersed in workshops and eating and going to, um, you know, going to sessions and, and traveling around booths and going to field trips and farm trips and ranch trips. One of my greatest um, experiences that I always remember is midweek I, I went to a farmhouse in rural Italy and I was host, um, a family was hosting a group of us, a group of youth. And they were living, uh, this family of a couple and their child, they were living in a small rural town with other families, and in this town, they sustained their livelihood. They were growing their own food. They were sharing with their neighbors. They were milking their own goats. They were, you know, they had their own, their community had their own oils and oh. uh, their own systems and their own grains, and, um, you know, they were living this seemingly modest life, but I felt so connected to them because you know they were they were sustaining their own lives and that's the livelihood that I want to I want to achieve where I I am a part of um, a household and a community that is able to sustain their own livelihoods um, with food being a major component. This uh, person you met from Vietnam, uh, which part of Vietnam was he from, and what what did you do there? Um, he was a he was a rice farmer from uh, southern Vietnam, um, in a in a town called Mita. He's actually around where my dad grew up, oh. and um, yeah, he's a rice farmer and he provides rice for the local community. And he's really, you know, he um, he was invited. Um, he was invited by uh, some folks that he connected through Slow Food uh, in Asia. And um, you're trying to understand different rice varieties, and you know he he was um, pretty overwhelmed with he as I was pretty overwhelmed with the conference, <laughs> and um, it was really interesting to connect with him. Uh, you know he um, he's he has these tensions in Vietnam. You know in Vietnam is becoming is fast becoming a industrial nation, um, right. and a lot of development is happening there. You know, when um, when the president of Vietnam last visited America, they signed an $11 million um, trade deal where uh, where our network, networks in America would help develop Vietnam. And so, you know, one of his tensions was uh, land is being developed in Vietnam, and, you know, he's really trying to save this rice paddy uh, that he that he grows and helps us try to sustain his community um but a lot of land around his area is being developed uh, as housing and as business and schools and so um he was really trying to be part part and network with this community um that's trying to save agriculture i remember going to uh um area in the in the mekong delta in the south and vietnam and they were showing us rice uh, processing, and uh, some of the um, some of the rice was actually uh, brown rice, but they were saying that a lot of people preferred the the polished rice. So because they thought it was, uh, I mean, they actually cleaned it, uh, you know, took the took the husk off, and so the brown rice was left to feed the pigs. I mean, it was kind of the opposite of what you would think. It was left to feed the what? The pigs. It was oh, like, the pigs. Yeah. Yeah. So humans yeah, so didn't, um, uh, uh, you know, buy the 
brown rice brown. because they prefer right. the polished rice. Right, right. So yeah, and so and it's a very similar story here in America.、Um, you know, a good、uh, you know it's a good、uh, two thirds of of the corn and soybean and commodity crops that we buy or that excuse me that is grown in America is being fed to、um, to animals, and for one, you know, they don't necessarily. Their digestive systems aren't、uh, equipped to that type of food. And secondly,、um, here in America, we're we're increased to to twelve percent, twelve percent of people who are hungry. So there's this kind of this、um, this dichotomy. There's this like、uh, there's this、uh, there's this level of、uh, you know hunger. Around people who are not being not getting enough nutrition, who are undernourished,、right. but then there are you know other systems where we're feeding a good portion of the food that people could eat、um, to animals、uh, that don't that don't aren't aren't equipped for that type of food anyway. So、um, there, there you know there are these systems that are are definitely being challenged. Uh, that are challenging to it, to themselves, and、um, certainly something that、uh, that I envision、um, to be shifted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.、Um, in the article in the university、uh, feature story on the university's webpage, it mentioned that you were actually、uh, pretty heavy as at,、uh, when you were growing up. How did you ab- were you able to reduce your weight? Yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> If I can ask that. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay, Dan.、Um, yeah, mean, I, was yeah, it was it on a diet program or was it just eating the right foods? Sure, I、um, I'm still grappling how I'm going to document this process because I thought a lot about this. <laughs>、um, some people told me to write a book or something about it, but、um, yeah,、right. yeah, I、um, so I was heavy、uh, all throughout、um, my younger years and. Um, it was it was April fifteenth, two thousand five. I had just finished、um, I just finished a, a conference,、um, one of my last conferences in high school.、Uh, I was I was a, I was a,、um, I was really engaged in leadership development when I was in high school. So I came back from one of my conferences and I started looking at some pictures and some videos of myself,、um, and I. Didn't like. I didn't like who I saw.、Um, it was it was unappealing to me, and、uh, I, I will say that it really started off as vanity, as this idea of you know I just don't like I just don't like、um, what I look like. So、um, I remember that night I started running, and、uh, ironically, there's a there's a hospital right where I was living, where my parents. Uh, live, and so、um, that night I started.、Uh, I had the intention of running around this hospital, and so、um, I put on my, you know, I put on my、uh, my sweatband, my head sweatband, and my short shorts and、uh, my shirt, and I was ready to go. And I remember sprinting that first side. Along the hospital, and it was so engrossing, and it was so disturbing for my body、uh, because I had not exercised for the last for my last two years of high school,、yeah. and I was still eating junk food,、uh, processed food. That it was so engrossing and so disturbing that I started to、um, throw up、um, when I finished that side of running and sprinting on that. On the hospital, and and it was just like physical manifestation of all of、uh, of what、uh, of all these toxins that I was putting on my bot in my body the first eighteen years of my life, and so、um, you know I made the conscious decision that you know this、uh, this is a motivation for me to move forward, and and from. From the end of high school to early, you know, like my second year of college,、um, I I just started running and walking and being more active uh, um, around that hospital. <laughs> that hospital was a really <laughs>、uh, iconic image. But、um, you know, I started drinking. I I took soda out of my diet. I drank water.、Uh, 
I um, was then being introduced to hiking and biking and swimming. And um, when I transferred to UCI, I became, you know, I became really physically active um, where I was running a lot. And Hmm. I was starting to run, you know, 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons and, um, you know, still drinking a lot of water and being active. Um, the, The real last element was food. And that was when I transferred to UCI when, you know, I was talking about those phases earlier where I needed to fend for myself or I needed to realize, hey, like, my food doesn't come from just my parents anymore. Like, I need to figure that out for myself. And food really became that final element to for, for my own optimal health. And, um, and, and you know, I still continue that, that lifestyle today. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Do you grow your own food now? Well, um, I was growing a little bit of food when I was in Irvine. Um, there are some challenges about with being a student. Um, yeah. Um, and I recently, I recently just moved to San Francisco, so um, I'm currently, you know, saving up, uh, saving up egg cartons and uh, for my seeds, my seed starters. And I'm looking to, um, I'm looking around at some community gardens for to grow food. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly my intention to grow my own food uh, and to really understand, you know, what, how much food can I grow and. Can I be sharing with my community? Um, yeah, certainly. So I think sprouts and um, you know soy, soy uh, tofu is easy to grow, right? To, to, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I wanna I wanna start my own my own uh, sprouts, and I have um, a batch of uh, acidophilus. It's this living culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm you know growing my own um, growing my own. Uh, yogurt and and dairy and um you know trying to preserve the food that i have you know making jams making syrups um preserving pickles um stuff like that so so certainly yeah so yeah. i mean i mean yeah so yeah, yeah. Wow. how do you make yeah. how do you how do you make tofu soy tofu no uh, i guess is it from soybean and then you grow the soy and i had a friend who used to do it in his windowsill so I can't remember what he did. <laughs> oh wow! Wow! Yeah. yeah. I know he did cool. sprouts, but he also did soy. Uh, um, so I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. I, I grew up in Hong Kong, and I remember vendors carrying uh, uh, on their shoulder jugs of uh, or barrels of uh, soy uh, milk, I guess, is or soy. Uh, Soy, what do you call um, it? Uh, soft soy, and okay. you can they sell it. Um, oh, with like a with like a sweet syrup. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I remember. I love eating. In that Cantonese, stuff. is tofu fa, you know, and the, the tofu flour, I guess they call it. Uh, and um, so it, you can eat it as a cool drink, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But that's of course nobody does that. I mean, they still sell them in in Ranch Ninety Nine, I guess, but uh, <laughs> but not nobody carries it around anymore. You know. Yeah, and I've been introduced to you know um, to learning how to make my own kombucha, and I've been introduced to organizations here in the Bay that forage fruit in the city. Um, so so and, and and you know being part of uh, groups of people who you know bake their own bread and and um and so it's certainly a very uh it's a, it's a very spiritual and a very um very enlightening process growing your own food it's definitely uh you know you're growing a community too right i mean you become part of a local community yeah yeah and and one of the reasons why i moved uh one of the major reasons why uh, i've been thinking about moving to the bay area and having the Bay Area is that there is a, a strong community of people who are interested in their local food systems, and there's certainly a lot of advocacy that's happening with actual people who are practicing it. There's a lot of academic scholarship and researchers who are looking into this local food shed. Um, you know, recently uh, the the mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, he he made an executive order to to look at. Um, uh, food, local food distribution, and increasing uh, food, gro- you know, food groceries, food grocery mar- markets uh, in low-income communities here in the city. And uh, so, this executive order has a lot of uh, political um, 
support. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so here, you know, I'm really trying to learn from this area um, to potentially, you know, go out and uh, be growing food in other areas of the nation, the world, maybe even come back to Orange County where I grew up. Did you, uh, did you, are you on the you, East Bay side or are you on the San Francisco side? I'm in the city of San Francisco. Oh, okay. oh. yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at potential. Um, uh, um, I'm looking at some potential programs in the East Bay right now. Oh, to, oh, to, to go to, to grad school. Um, to go to grad school, um, there's some urban agriculture projects uh, in Oakland and Berkeley um, that I that I potentially want to work with, um, and potentially grad school. Who knows? I'm gonna I'm gonna wait a little bit um, uh, because yeah. I'm planning to. I want to go to um, look at some farming apprenticeship programs oh, cool. um, that look into uh, you know uh, biointensive agriculture that look into to agriculture that suits uh, climate change that looks into seed saving and um, uh, oh, yeah. smart you know, smart irrigation um, and potentially you know take it take a year or two in Vietnam actually so. Um, so yeah, um, I want to do that before kind of going back to the books. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and maybe I'll see you in Vietnam. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I was just there in April, actually, and I'll probably go back in, in, the, in the late fall, probably. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Good deal. Yeah, yeah. So, because they're doing furloughs here, so I have to, you know, if the union agrees, uh, I'll be taking a month off. <laughs> so okay. unpaid okay. holiday. Holiday. Sure. <laughs> sure. So will you be going? Will you be going to Hong Kong too? Yeah, Hong yeah. Kong and Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I'm going okay. to Hong Kong in October also. <laughs> so okay, I don't know. Good. We have to work out these uh, details on sure. on the dates and the fellow is uh, total number of days. So it's not sure when we can take them or whether we can take long batches. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So if sure. that goes into effect, right now the unions are, um, uh, have to be contacted, and they haven't been yet. Uh, at least the, half, about half of the UC employees are unionized, and so the unions have to agree. And uh, if they don't, the university is threatening to lay off more people. And, yeah, already 700 people have been laid off from the UCs, um, we found out on, on, the week, on Friday. And so and it's so pretty, pretty uh, dire, actually. How many from UC Irvine? Um, I know there were a couple from humanities, including the person that was handling the slide library. Um, and that, uh, so that was very serious down here. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of these things aren't publicized, so it's hard to know. Sure, yeah. sure. But uh, it's, it's affecting, a lot, you know, not just, I mean, People as well as uh, you know resources, like uh, the library will also. I work in the library, and we also are suffering. Will be suffering more this year. Sure, sure. So it's a bad time. <laughs> so, sure, sure. Yeah, and student fees, of course, have gone up nine over nine percent. Sure. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so it may be a time to take off and do something in the community. <laughs> yeah, and you know, um, you know, it's really interesting you say that because uh, a lot of people, you know, they they engage, they try to engage with me in these discussions about the economic downturn and um, you know, uh, job insecurity. But for me, like, this is a great time for me to be going out on the land, and there are so many opportunities out there to be farming and engaging your community about food, and like, here I am. Like here, here I am hearing about my friends who can't find jobs, you know, right. in business administration and um, economics and uh, firms, and and you know I have these opportunities to work on farms for a year, uh, one plus like one plus year, or um, you know work in uh, sustainable food organizations or do you know in, do internships um, with communities that that really need. Uh, this type of work to be done. So, um, you know, I'm certainly grateful and certainly in, 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 invite, you know, people to really look into uh, look into apprenticeship programs and um, volunteer with their community because this is a great time to be doing it. Yeah, and definitely it's a way to network uh, and, you know, get future jobs. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 for sure. For so, sure. 
Yeah, so thank you very much. We've been talking with Haibo, who's the um, uh, sustainable food advocate uh, when he was at UCI, and now he's continuing that uh, advocacy um, for sustainable foods and real food. Thank you, Hai. Thank you, Dan. Take care of yourself. Thank you. I will. You too. We'll meet, I hope. Thank you. Yes, yes, we will do. Bye now. Bye-bye. That was Hai Vu who uh, is, uh, was a graduate student, uh, was a student and graduated from the social ecology program here at UC Irvine uh, just recently. And he's continuing his quest for socially responsible actions and helping make this world a better place. Uh, this is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.